We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with the man, the myth, the legend. Norm Hightower. Also, we have some other guests as well today. Hey, I want to ask you, if you enjoy our show, we're not asking you to throw money at us. We're not asking you to come out here and not yet anyways. Let's hope we never have to, okay? All we want you to do is if you enjoy it, head on over to iTunes. Hook us up with a nice, hopefully, five-star review and let us know uh, the job we're doing. It helps us in the charts. It helps us just move up the rankings overall. It helps us be able to show potential sponsors 
that we're growing, in which we are, by the way, growing a lot. So please hook us up. Also, you can you can subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, and Player FM. Oh, and don't forget, we're on iebeatradio.com on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So if you see a, if you see a guy on the street corner in Ohio holding a sign saying, "We'll podcast for food," that's Derek. Also. We have some things to touch on besides our, our guests. There's sad news in Rams Nation today. And by the way, we, we don't usually mention the date in which we're recording on. But in today's case, we will because we're going to try and get this out quickly. Um, we lost a member of the Rams family. We'll get to that in a moment. Also appearing today as a part of our tour around the league is USA Today Jaguars Wire Managing Editor and Jags Zen Podcast host Jay Johnson to talk about the Jaguars moves and freezing the draft. Then... The Pewter Reports, Trevor Sikama joins the show to talk about the changes the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have made this offseason. However, before we get started, let's go ahead and get this uh, talk about our sponsor, too. Let's, let's not forget about them. They keep the lights on here. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawks, Hollywood's team, Grit Glam of the 1950s, Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. As we approach Father's Day, check out his son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, grammar, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy Crazy Legs Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. Is available both in hardback and electronic format at Amazon in Barnes and Noble. You can also find the book in various other booksellers around the internet. Trust me, folks. I read this book from cover to cover. It's worth every penny for every Rams fan out there. It's also a great story about a person's father and legacy he left behind. Check it out. It's it's not expensive. It's Hollywood's teen grit, glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. Okay, so before we talk with Jay. We're keeping Jay waiting. I mean, he's a highlight of a show here. Trust me, okay? But Jay's, Jay's a patient man. We do want to say, well, we just want to extend our condolences to the family of Los Angeles Rams, former Los Angeles Rams head coach Chuck Knox. Chuck Knox coached the Rams, Bills, and Seahawks during his career. He finished 69-48-1 as head coach of the Rams, but that record's a little deceiving because he coached the Rams twice, and he struggled during his tenure with the Rams in 1992-1994. However... When he had this team in the 1970s, he led it to five straight division titles. They later set the record for seven and also three NFC Championship games. This was He was nicknamed Ground Chuck because he was able to basically run over people with quarterbacks who were, well, let's just say they weren't pro bowlers. Unfortunately, Knox's teams were unable to get past Dallas and Minnesota during his tenure, but he remains one of the most successful coaches in Rams history. We'll spend a little more time looking on his career Later this summer, and we'll also talk to Norm about what he remembers about Chuck Knox at the end of the podcast. But for now, we want to wish the Knox family our deepest thoughts and prayers during this time. Chuck Knox was 86 years old, passed away on May 12th. All right, Jay, we're glad to welcome Jay Johnson, the managing editor of USA Today's Jaguars Wire and co-host of the Jags End Podcast. Jay's been on our show multiple times now. We're going to have him on again, and we're always glad to have him on. And maybe the next time we talk, it'll be about, oh, maybe you as we preview a Super Bowl. We're hoping so. Jay, how you doing? I'm good, fellas. I can't complain, man. Glad to be on the uh, podcast once again. Always so, good to have you on, man. Always, yeah. Absolutely. 
And by the way, uh, for those who, who don't know, uh, Jay was actually, when he was running a podcast, a different one, a while back, he reached out to us, and it was the first time we'd ever been on a podcast. And I don't th- I'm not sure James knows that, but yeah, it was the first time we ever been on a podcast, and Norm has been on his podcast there before, Jay's been on our podcast, and so it was a kind of a, a, kind of a cool thing and how you make links in today's world. So as we move forward here, let's go ahead and talk and jump right into this. A lot of things went right for the Jaguars in 2017. Jay, what did the Jaguars do to help them take the next step and get them over the hump in 2018? And what weaknesses are still there? Well, first and foremost, I I think that they got stronger on defense. And and we all know about the old saying that uh, defense wins championships. So uh, we'll we'll see if that's the case because that's exactly what they did, um, especially in the draft um, with the addition of Taven Bryan, who should uh, add another three technique into the rotation behind uh, my man Malik Jackson. Uh, he's a guy that uh, also can move around Taven Bryan I'm talking about here. Uh, he could play some in. He could play some nose tackles. So, uh, you know, some people think he might be the heir to uh, Calais Campbell. So ultimately, time will tell. He's a guy that has versatility. Uh, they could go a bunch of different directions with him, but they probably will use him more so as a interior rotational piece uh, as a rookie. So they got stronger there. Uh, they they also in the draft they they added some pieces to help them solidify their future on defense. They got some guys uh, like uh, my man Harrison from Alabama uh, who can come in and and you know be the heir to Barry Church eventually. At strong safety, um, they also added DJ Chark into the offense and uh, a variety of pieces that necessarily won't start this year, but they they have bright futures uh, past the 2018 season. So um, as for the weaknesses, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, there still are some weaknesses, as all rosters have. Um, on offense, of course, you you know, you, you got to figure out what you're getting in Blake Bortles, uh, which we'll, we'll discuss later. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's been up and down throughout his his career with the Jags, uh, you know, and, and we'll see uh, because they're going to need more out of him and more consistency out of him in the passing game. And, and if they don't get that, then, you know, ultimately they could be stuck where they were last year. So um, on defense, their weaknesses, of course, we have to see what they can do against the run. They struggled there last year a lot. Um, they didn't necessarily do anything to help that, in my opinion, uh, with the draft and, and free agency. And, um, yeah, that, I think those are pretty much the weaknesses aside from, uh, you know, the linebacker position. Uh, they got some question marks there as well. Uh, they they got to find somebody to enter that mix with Telvin Smith and Miles Jack as Pauper's Lesney retired. And, um, yeah, aside from that, I think, uh, you know, those are pretty much the few weaknesses that they do have. Well, I am going to jump right into the Blake Bortles thing with you because actually Derek had it as one of his questions as well. But you guys made a commitment to him this year by paying him. You also brought in Cody Kessler, uh, which isn't really a threat, I wouldn't believe, to Blake Bortles. Do you guys think you can – how far do you think you can take it with Bortles? I mean, do you, do you think you can take it all the way to the Super Bowl and win it with him as a quarterback? Or do you think it was a mistake that they didn't make a move there? Yeah, I'm on record for if you guys really listen to the Jack's Dan podcast, I'm on record for saying it often, as well as my co-host Phil Smith, that uh, we 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 aren't necessarily the biggest Blake Bortles supporters, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> but uh, that being said, uh, we we think that the Jaguars should have used this draft as an opportunity to at least get somebody to push Blake Bortles in the draft. 
And whether that had been Lamar Jackson or um, the Oklahoma State quarterback, his name is escaping me right now, um, Mason Rudolph. There you go. It, it, whether it had been one of those two, we would have been fine with it. But we did think that the Jags needed to address the quarterback spot in one of the top four rounds to get somebody to come in there and not necessarily start, but push Blake Bortles and, and light a fire under him. So uh, needless to say, I personally wasn't all that happy with the extension uh, but that being said, it's one that, I mean, you they could really get out of it uh, within next year. So it, it's not one that they, they are tied to him at the hip with, regardless of what they say. Um, and it's one that I believe, you know, says personally, when you look at the figures to it, they don't know what they have in him yet. So they haven't committed a, that necessarily a lot of money into the contract. I mean, you look at the the contracts that's going around around the league. You know, they they're some pricey deals that got done with quarterbacks, and um, I think ultimately that is why they stuck with Blake Bortles is because for one, they they don't necessarily trust the prospects that are coming out of the draft, and for two, they didn't necessarily want to go the route of Kirk Cousins and tie a lot of money into the quarterback position, which as we've seen could hurt a roster or it could really help a roster. When you see guys like Case Keenum and, and so forth that you know haven't had a ton of success in the league come into like Minnesota and do what he did last year, and now you know this year he's starting in Denver, I think that's probably along the lines of where the Jaguars were going with Blake Bortles because he is a serviceable quarterback. He's just not a highlight reel kind of guy, but I think he has the potential to you know step up his game a little bit, and maybe by giving him this contract that might you know, show him that, hey, we believe in you at least for one more year. Show us what you got. Is that kind of what you think it is? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it, it is what it is because Dave Caldwell has come out to say, and that's the Jags GM, that this isn't necessarily a placeholder deal. But when you, like like you said, when you look at the figures that break it down, that's exactly what it is until they can find out what they have in him, at least for this year. Or maybe even, you know, they, they could keep him around for a good price next year. And I think ultimately they feel that they are a defensive team and that defense is going to win them a championship if they do win one indeed. Um, and, and we've seen that, how they attack free agency, how they attack the draft. So I think they think they have enough in him and they have uh, a, a elite defense that could propel him to the uh, the Super Bowl and his team to the Super Bowl, and uh, which ultimately will be the way that the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, win the championship. Of course, and with Leonard Fournette, too, who, who is a uh, very talented running back. Hold on, I have to ask this, and this is not really kind of coming at you. It's just we were saying that they want to find out what they have in here. My question for you is how do they not already know what they have in here? It's not like he just was drafted last year. They've had him for a few years now. I mean, at some point, he's got to make it or break it. So why are they just now trying to say, well, what do we have in him? Exactly, and that that's my bone with the whole issue is because I've long felt that if with a quarterback – that's drafted as high as Blake Bortles is by year three or four, you should know what you have in that quarterback. And we still don't know what we have in Blake Bortles. So I think a lot of it is blind faith. They're putting a lot of faith into, uh, you know, the way that Doug Marone runs this team through the run game 
through defense. And I don't think they know what they have in Blake Bortles, which is why the figures on that contract look the way they look. We just seen what Matt Ryan signed for, which is just a ridiculous, crazy amount of money. But he's a very good quarterback indeed. So when you compare that in comparison to what Blake Bortles is getting, it says to me that they don't know what they have in him. They And they might not trust him necessarily as much as they lead people on to believe they trust him. And they're going to win this this uh, or they're going to win games through Leonard Fournette and probably more so through uh, their defense. And they're 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 hoping that Blake Bortles can take that next step because he has shown spurts of brilliance at times. If you look at like the Seahawks game and uh, the game against the Ravens, he, he looked untouchable. But then, you know, his low is 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 very low. So, I mean, he has a high ceiling and a very low, uh, a very low low. So we'll see uh, what we get out of him this year. But I think this year is going to be the year that they they finally make that decision to to say, hey, we know what we got in this guy or we know what we don't have in this guy and we need to move on. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, hopefully the Jaguars end up in the Super Bowl as a result. The funny thing is, the last time you and I, or actually the first time you and I podcasted together, uh, you didn't you didn't have your running back yet. Your team was up and coming. Our team still had Jeff Fisher, and we were still we thought up and coming at that time. Since then, the Jaguars have done great things and have made some really serious roster moves to make themselves a contender, as the Rams have. And I truly think that the Jaguars are a contender in the AFC for the Super Bowl this year. One, Maybe my top pick, if not my second pick. After seeing where Jacksonville's gone, did you pay attention to what the Rams did this year in free agency and in the draft? And if so, what did you think of it? Yeah, actually, with me being with the Jags wire this year, I didn't really get to watch the Rams offseason, but I did watch them extensively last year throughout the season. Um, And I'm a, a Falcons fan secondarily. I'm from Georgia, live in Georgia. Um, I actually don't live too far from Atlanta. Uh, so I guess you could say that's my NFC team. So I watched that game Um, with uh that they had. With, it was with the Falcons in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I watched that game pretty heavily. And um, I, I will say this about the Rams roster. I love what they're doing. Um, and I wish that, you know, the Jaguars had a quarterback with the upside of Jared Goff. And um, he, he's a guy that could take take them ultimately, you know, if he continues to progress to the promised land alongside that defense. And I, I think he's a guy that in, in time he could probably develop into – the, the passer that they want him to be and a passer that can propel them to the Super Bowl, uh, which, which is, like I said, which is what I feel with Blake Bortles is that he's not a good enough uh, thrower of the football to uh, to get them there. So, I mean, I love I'm a big Aaron Donald fan as a three technique. That, that guy is unstoppable. Love what he does on the field. Um, one of my favorite players personally because I, I, I played defense when I was in high school and I just I kind of catered to that side of the ball more than the other side. And um, yeah, in general, man, I, I really like what the Rams are building as a whole. Well, they added Donovan Sue, they added Marcus Peters, they added Akib Talib, getting rid of Sammy Watkins and bringing in Brandon Cooks, who I know a lot about. Right, and right. You know, so I think the moves have been great moves. And, you know, offensively, I don't think the Rams are going to skip a beat. Defensively, I think they've gotten better on the line and, and in the secondary. And the only question mark right now is linebacker. 
So I, I really can see a collision course between our two teams at the end of the year, and I hope that really happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And, and when you mentioned those acquisitions that they made on defense, you know, it, that can end up being an elite group. As we saw with the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, we saw them put all the pieces in place in the offseason with A.J. Boye and Calais Campbell. But it was just a matter of us seeing it actually translate on the field. You guys have already seen that with what you had previously. But now with those guys like like an Indomitian Sue and, and Peters, uh, I think that group becomes even more elite. And it wouldn't surprise me to the, the slightest bit if they are like number one in the league in total defense um, up there with the Jaguars as well. So um, they, they are two teams that have put a lot into their defense, and I think they uh, they definitely should be feared as the number one and two uh, defenses in whatever, whatever order, uh, respectively. Now also, moving over to offense, the Jaguars let two receivers go, Robinson and Hearns. Did they adequately replace them from your point of view? Well, Robinson is the big kicker. That's, that's the one that – you have to wonder, uh, have they replaced it? It just came down to he had an ACL injury, and basically they didn't want to pay him coming off of that injury what he wanted, so he he decided to go elsewhere with the Chicago Bears. And he's a guy that um, I think he was very underrated uh, in terms of a, a league-wide wide receiver, and, and he's a guy that um, isn't easily replaceable. Uh, that being said, they have the Jacksonville Jaguars have a track record, at least under Tom Coughlin, although he's only been there two years, and Dave Caldwell. Those two guys have a good track record with wide receivers. And you look back at what Dave Caldwell did uh, to get Julio Jones, which people thought was just crazy when they made that trade to get him. But in the end, it worked out for the Atlanta Falcons. So he really knows wide receivers. And then you look at Tom Coughlin's history with Jimmy Smith back in the day with the Jaguars, with uh, Victor Cruz finding him undrafted. And 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 um, who else does he have uh, currently on the roster? Odell Beckham Jr. So you, you look at what they've done before they came to Jacksonville, their track record speaks for itself. And then even when they came to Jacksonville, you know, Dave Caldwell land, managed to land Alan Hearns undrafted, uh, managed to get a Marquise Lee in the second round, managed to get a uh, Allen Robinson in the second round. And I think DJ Chark, who was also a second round pick, uh, should, should actually, uh, absolutely be considered as a guy that could blow up just as those guys did. Uh, because just of how the Jaguars are able to scout talent at the wide receiver position. Sauce, I saw Chark um, in the Senior Bowl, and he was dominant. Absolutely dominant. I was surprised that he actually fell. I thought someone would go get him. I mean, I, mean, he, I know he was looked at as a guy second, third round. But mm -hmm. given his film, especially in the Senior Bowl, the way he moved in a rouse, I thought he would be a surprise first-rounder, early second-rounder. And, you know, I, I just... Um, I'm really high on the Jaguars getting him in the draft. I think you get yeah, I love that player. selection. Yeah, I, I love it, and and I, I'm kind of careful careful with uh, with crowning receivers ahead of time, especially the the type of guys I like. I'm I'm gonna just come out and tell you the type of guys I like are are the fast guys, the guys that run the four threes, but have that six three speed like Chark does. And I've been burned in the past with, you know, putting my neck on the line for saying, hey, this guy's gonna be good or that guy's gonna be good. Um the speedy guys like uh per se um Kendall White, he was one that I was really high on that I thought was going to translate well. And um uh, Mike Wallace 
was one of those guys that, you know, I was on record for saying, hey, this guy is going to be the next big thing. And granted, he had a decent career, uh, just not the career that I thought he would have. So um, Chark is a guy that kind of fits the mold of those guys. And um, I'm, I'm carefully optimistic on him, um, though I've seen a ton of film on him. Love what he did at LSU. And I, I do think that he can um, he can ve- basically carry the torch of those second round receivers that the Jags have been known to hit on in the past. Well, we've been burned a little bit on those oh, speedy, speedy receivers, too, when you talk about Tavon Austin. You know. <laughs> yeah, he was another guy I was high on that that I was on record for saying it was going to be a, a, a very good receiver. So those, those are the guys that scare me. I, I've been in in terms of hitting on the, the big guys, the bigger receivers that not necessarily the four, three guys, but your four, 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 five guys. Those have pretty much been easy for me to hit on. But when it comes to the speedsters, man, I just hold my judgment now and just just let let uh, it take its course on the field, if you will. I feel much better when, you know, like the Rams drafted Cooper Cup last year, and a lot of people didn't know who he was, but because I was a West Coast guy, I was real familiar with his play and was really excited when they drafted him. And then, of course, this year they get Brandon Cooks from Oregon State, mm-hmm. who, I, who I've watched live several times. So it's really hard to judge those guys when you don't see them live and, and, and stuff like that. When you're only watching film on them and, and see their reputation, it's really tough to guess them. So... I really think Chark's going to turn out to be all right, though. All right. Last question, then we'll let you go. I think we kept you a little bit longer than normally we would. but uh, <laughs> No, it's all right. Y'all good, man. <laughs> Y'all good. All right. So what are your prospects for the Jaguars in 2018? Can they dethrone the Patriots and make it to the Super Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. I think they can. Um, I, I think when you look at the AFC Championship, you know, yeah, the Jags did shoot the, themselves in the foot some some of the time for some of that game. And I mean, as well as I mean, I guess I could say it because I'm not a coach or or a personnel member from the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I, I mean, most of America thinks the, the referees didn't help the Jags cause either. So, I mean, that being said, I think what they're going to do is they're going to go back and, and that game alone is going to going to make them better. Uh, going forward but they're going to look back at the mistakes they made the coaching mistakes they made and, and there were plenty on there they got a little um timid if you will uh didn't want to take many risks in the second quarter and you as we all saw with the eagles you you have to be willing to take risks to beat the patriots but i think they've learned from that and i think i think the key thing that that happened this offseason that might propel the jacksonville jaguars over the uh the the new england patriots is they got better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They added Taven Bryan, as we said, in the draft. They added Andrew Norwell, who people say arguably is the best guard in football and free agency. And I think that acquisition alone really helps them because I don't think the Patriots necessarily got better on defense. And I think this is this is uh, going to be a case of the Jacksonville Jaguars are, are now suited to grind out the Patriots unlike they were able to do in the AFC championship because they have a better offensive line and the guys they have are much better and more much more experienced uh so that being said yes I think they can dethrone them it's just a matter of you know can that defense get to Tom Brady like they did in the first quarter or the first and second quarter of the game or and it's a it's a matter of how will home field play into uh advantage in the playoffs can the Jaguars uh, get a bye in the first week. Uh, ultimately, time will tell. 
Well, I'm I'm coming out right now and picking the Jaguars over the Patriots. I think the Jaguars will go further this year. And, you know, it's hard to do that with the way the Patriots always seem to make it. And, you know, we're not fans of that, of course. But right. I, I really think this is the year that the Jaguars get over the top with them and, and take it all the way. Yeah, I, I can agree with you there. Um, I think when you look at what they're doing in training camp and um, what they're doing with minicamp, their focus, uh, that, that loss lit a fire under them. I don't think they are necessarily going to regress. And you, you know how some teams are one and done. Uh, but with Tom Coughlin there especially, that, that's another key factor into this, this, uh, this whole thing is Tom Coughlin has that track record. Uh, he, he knows what it takes to beat one of his good friends in Bill Belichick. And I think uh, this year, you know, they, they'll get it done. Um, they play him in the regular season. They get him early uh, week two, I think it is. And um, I, I think the Jaguars will uh, be relatively healthy then. Hopefully they will be. Um, and they'll make a statement there. And I think they can also make a statement against them in the playoffs if they're healthy uh, when the playoffs roll around. All right. Well, hey, Jay, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. It was uh, always enlightening with you. Always a good conversation. Folks, if you want to follow Jay, get him on Twitter at sportsgrind underscore Dawn or check out the Jaguars page, Jaguars Wire or Jags and Podcast. He's well worth the listen, well worth your time, especially if you're looking to get a little information on how the AFC is working out. James, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Absolutely, fellas, and um, I definitely got to get y'all on the Jags Den podcast sometime in the near future, and um, I enjoy being on as usual. Look forward to it, and thanks a lot, James. All right. Thanks a lot, buddy. All right. Y'all hold it down, man. Yeah, we will. <laughs> okay. We got our, our next guest coming on, folks, here in a second. Before we do, we want to go ahead and give a shout-out to our sponsor, our longtime sponsor, our original sponsor, the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in Orange County, we're around the area there. And like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. That's 92683. The owner, Sal Martinez, opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. He kept the light on. It's been on ever since. And now he has himself his own place. It's just Rams, Rams, Rams. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS or it's 7267. Use the promo code Talk. So he knows we sent you and get a great discount on an already affordable haircut. This shop is open. Again, the Gold Ram shop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it just to enjoy all the Rams memorabilia. But he will give you that old school barbershop experience, talking football just like they did in the olden days. Trust me, folks, it's worth it. You won't regret it. Sal even managed to make my blockhead. And Norm's funky-looking head appear normal. All right, moving on. Folks, our next <laughs> guest is Trevor Sikama from the Pewter Report. He's here to give us the lowdown on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2018 offseason. Trevor, welcome to the show. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Glad to have you on board. Okay, so the immediate question here, uh, at least it comes to mind for me, is the Bucs have been viewed as a rising team ever since they drafted Jameis Winston. At what point do they finally go back to the playoffs? Do you yeah. think it's close? Yeah. Um, that's the, I mean, that's a big question. They, they've certainly last year, very disappointing to finish the way that they did 5-11. Uh, and 11. This is a team who, going into the preseason, you know, they were on hard knocks. They had the national appeal. They 
you know, Good Morning Football. They were, they were kind of Good Morning Football's trendy pick to make the playoffs, to make a deep run, possibly be a sleeper team. Because it was a much better Buccaneers roster than we've seen in years, you know, basically since the last time that they made the playoffs uh, back in 2000. Uh, I believe it was seven, nine, one of those two, a uh, long time ago. But, man, they had the talent, I think, initially, but they definitely realized that it wasn't enough talent. Uh, they've had some movement on the roster. The coaching staff, where you could argue, I mean, the, the phrase being used was always they didn't have the forces to finish the race. You know, there were some pieces missing here to get stuff done, whether it was on offense or defense. But, I mean— they could not stop anybody on third down. They could not score in the red zone. They did not have a kicking game. Uh, their special teams was not nearly as good as it was the year before. They didn't have the timely turnovers. And Jameis Winston with his shoulder injury, you know, that just kind of really threw the whole season uh, under the bus. And so some some bad luck, uh, some realization of some bad decisions, but there was still stuff to build off of. And, and here we are kind of coming into 2018 they revamped a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff really in the trenches, you know, where football is won and lost. And, and they almost totally turned over the, the units that they had from the previous seasons. They're switching things up making sure they're not behind the eight ball again there at least. And they're going to give their, you know, this is, I, I said it last year and we all kind of obviously got burned for it as media guys covering the Buccaneers down here, but this is the best Tampa team that's been around in almost a decade. So on paper, You've got to think they have a chance, you know, at least to be in the conversation here at the beginning of the season before anything starts about possibly making some noise and making a run. We were talking a lot about Vita Vea in our preview on our draft because we thought that we needed a, a, a nose guard desperately. And especially with our, you know, lack at linebacker going into the draft. And we, we, we often talked about the fact that we might move up and go after him and then uh, the little shock came along and we signed the Donican Sue and you guys ended up drafting Vita Vea. Uh, that guy's a beast. I'm from the West coast. I watched him play a lot at Washington. What are your thoughts on bringing him in and how do you think he's going to help your defense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vita is quite the specimen, huh? I mean, a, a guy who's 350 pounds moving the way that he does. Uh, it's pretty special. You know, Washington played him in some interesting ways. I'll just say, you know, in the PAC 12, they have a tendency to, to, to rush three linemen and do some different things with their fronts and not necessarily do, I guess, what you would call, you know, traditionally what you see in the NFL. So I definitely think that there's going to be a learning curve with Vita Vea. And one of the changes that Tampa made, probably their biggest change, honestly, this offseason is they fired their defensive line coach, Jay Hayes, who um, helped coach the very worst pass rush in the league last year. They got Brenton Buckner from Arizona, a guy who's got – uh, a lot of clout amongst the players that he's worked with and the coaches that he's worked with. So he comes in and you know they had the rookie mini camp just this weekend and we got to see Vita Vea getting coached up by by Buckner and you know he was uh, there was no special treatment there for the first round pick. You know when he was popping up too too quickly, you know giving up his leverage, not using his hands correctly, flipping his hips when he should have been going off the field, a lot of different stuff. He was getting yelled at, and and they're gonna make sure that they get the most out of this guy. And so I think that there's definitely a good amount of technical refinement that's gonna have to happen with Vita. Uh, just from watching his Washington tape, I think the natural talent, the natural skill, the athleticism, like we said, for for a guy of his size, certainly evident, but you've got to have technique in the NFL to make it work. And and I think that there's going to be a learning curve with him. I think he's a really good player, but um, it's going to be, you know, it might be a little bit for Vita to really 
recognize his full potential of what he could be in the NFL. Now, they chose Vita Villa over several other playmakers out there, especially the safeties, let them pass. That was a little surprising. So what was the mentality of the front office entering this offseason that, that took them down this path? Yeah, so uh, Derwin James, definitely on the board. I mean, he was there. They would have taken, you know, we know from a good source, they would have taken either Vita Vea or Derwin James at number seven. Ended up being able to trade back to number 12, got those two extra second-round picks. And again, they had the choice, again, with both of those two players. So they made the move back knowing, hey, we've got pretty good intel here. We think that one of those guys is going to be available at number 12 if we move back to there. They ended up having the choice for both. Vea was higher on their board. I believe we uh, we were told, I think Jason Light said on NFL Network, that Vea was his fourth overall player. So that, that's why they took him above Derwin James. I thought that they were going to take Derwin James because I think he gives more of an immediate impact. That's certainly what you're looking for with first-round picks. But the mentality, you know, just to your question there, get better in the trenches. And I think that that's what general manager Jason Light that was his, you know, that was his creed this offseason. You know, they went out and signed Vinny Curry, signed Bo Allen, signed Mitch Unrein. Um, They let go of Clint McDonald. You know, the guys who were on the lower parts of the depth chart, they didn't bring back. They end up trading for Jason Pierre-Paul. Noah Spence is coming back. On the other side, they, they move Marpet from center. They sign a guy like Ryan Jensen. They were committed to making both sides of the trenches better, and they were going to throw their best resources at the trenches, and that meant in free agency with their cap space and it meant in the draft with their higher draft picks. And so I ultimately, you know, I, I think that it was a close decision between both of those guys, between Vea and Derwin James, but ultimately they needed, I, Jason Light made the call. Hey, we're not going to have any excuses this year. You know, that that team is not going to have the excuse of, well, we didn't have the players we wanted. No, no, no. He, he was going to acquire the players and he's going to put it on the coaches now and say, I got you the talent. You got to do something with it. And I think that that's why they ultimately went with, with Vea over Derwin. Well, both our teams have experience with the hard knocks situation. Uh, we were on it when we first moved from St. Louis to LA. And then you guys were on it following that. Do you think that the hard knocks filming and all that affected the team and, you know, made it more difficult for the guys to focus? And do you think that caused them anything throughout the season? Or do you think it wasn't really an issue? Yeah, so I actually watched that all or nothing that they had on the Rams. I think it was that same season, right? Was it? Yes. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love that show. From an outsider, obviously not having to to do it for the team that, that I covered. I mean, I, I love that show. I love getting a, a, an inside look at, at what the Rams were doing. I thought that that was really cool. But to the hard knocks point, you know, it's hard to say because if you ask the players and the coaches and whatever, they're not going to tell you it was a distraction. You know, they're going to say it was all on them, you know, blah, blah, blah. But look, I, I mean, the fact of the matter is no team wants to do hard knocks. So you can say all you want that, oh, it's no big deal. It's no different. There's no effect there. It didn't affect us at all. But then no team ever wants to do it. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure I believe that entirely. And so the camera being in your face – uh, you having the, the storylines going into the season from the preseason, having that FaceTime on camera, always watching on Monday night or whenever it came out to see, oh, did I make the cut here? You know, did I? Am I going to be on national TV? Are people going to be talking about me on Twitter? That stuff. That's natural. And so, whether that became a bit of a distraction, I guess, is up to every player himself. But to say that those elements didn't exist would be foolish. And so, 
I mean, I've got to think that it played some kind of a role just because it's natural as a human being, whether you're a professional individual or not. I'm sure that some guys were able to block it out better than others and, and focus up on what they wanted to do. But certainly the team did not start off the way that they needed to. Uh, they did not have the focus that they needed to. And I don't want to go as far as to say as, you know, blame hard knocks for it. But there could have been elements in there that, that just let guys maybe slip their mind or be a little bit unfocused going into the season. And having that hurricane that happened week one that, that knocked out their week one and then didn't give them a bye week for the rest of the year, that had a big effect on it too. So, you know, like the whole hard knocks thing and then the hurricane messing up the week one, I think that all left to some uh, some some not great focus going on to the teeth of their schedule as we kind of saw in 2017. Trevor, what's the word on Jameis Winston? Is he ready to take the next step as a quarterback? And what are the fan expectations of him right now? So, I mean, the, the fan base is... I mean, a lot of people still believe in him, but the fan base is still like, hey, we're waiting for Jameis Winston to step it up, which, let me say, you know, th- those last three games when he was finally healthy, when his shoulder was finally healthy, he played really good football. He did. Um, I think he played some of the best football of his career. Now, Jameis Winston not turning those into wins, certainly turnovers had something to do with it. But, I mean, again, he didn't the, – the play calling did not help him out enough. They could not get it done in the red zone uh, for whatever reason it was. And so I do think that James is going to take this next step in 2018. I really do. I think that he's going to be a better quarterback than we have seen him, certainly to this point in his career. How big of a step forward is obviously the question. Um, But I do think that he's going to improve. And I've got to think that just because once he was fully healthy in 2017, which is really those last, I think, three games, he showed a lot of really great poise, a lot of good throws, and a lot of precision on his stuff, especially down the field. And so if he's building off of that, then then I think that we're going to see the best year of Jameis Winston to come. Now, whether that's going to be enough for the playoffs, we'll see. But I do expect to see some sort of a step forward again, progressing in his career in this next year. Well, because of time, I'm going to go ahead and cheat and ask one of Derek's questions so we can get everything in that he wanted to ask. How is the defense looking for next year? And, ha- and do they have the tools now to stop the Saints and the Falcons in the division? You know, the thing that worries me about that is certainly the corners. Um, You know, they drafted a guy like Carlton Davis out of Auburn, who's much more of a taller, press, man, aggressive corner. But they don't play a lot of that stuff. And so I think the front seven is going to be a lot better this year, certainly starting with the D-line, getting a guy like Jason Pierre-Paul in there, Vinnie Curry, having hopefully Noah Spence healthy to give them some sort of an edge rush on both sides to be able to compliment and help out Gerald McCoy in that middle. The linebackers are still going to be fine. Quan Alexander's great. Levante David's great. And once Kendall Beckwith comes back from injury, he'll be totally fine. But it's really that secondary unit. It's how they want to choose to play it because the Buccaneers like to do a lot of quarters coverage, and it really burned them last year. So it depends how they want to mix that up, how they're going to use Brent Grimes in his last year, probably before he retires. Vernon Hargraves has had hit plenty of struggles there. You know, he's obviously going to have to take a big step up if they're going to improve and, you know, become what you would think would be a playoff defense because they got a gauntlet of a schedule, man. They've got a tough schedule against some good passing offenses, um, not only just in their schedule overall, but even to start the year. I mean, they, they don't get any breaks. It's 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 at New Orleans, then hosting the Philadelphia Eagles, then hosting the Steelers, the Bears with their revamped offensive weapons, and then it's a bye week, and then at Atlanta. I mean, it's tough, man. They're, they're going to have to be ready when week one rolls around, and I think the front seven will be good, but it's all about how they want to play that secondary and how they can cover players better. Well, how are people viewing Dirk Cutter right now? Yeah, uh, <laughs> not good. Um, you know, that the 9-7 and seven season the year before, I think people were optimistic about it, but then to have the year that you had in 2017, um, failing in the areas that they failed at, 
not making the adjustments that they made, struggling as much as they did in the red zone, scoring points, getting it done there, the lack of adjustments on the defensive side of the ball too with Mike Smith not really changing anything up, hanging his corners out to dry. This coaching staff is on thin ice. Um, I really do think that if John Gruden would have chose Tampa Bay, which he did not, then he would have been the head coach for the Buccaneers. I think Dirk Cutter would have been gone. And so them, you know, coming out at the end of the season and saying, oh, Dirk's our guy. You know, of course he's our guy. We're, he's, he's safe for the next year. That's all fine and good to say in the press, but make no mistake, they are all on the hot seat this season. And I think that it's going to take the playoffs for them to keep their job. That keep, They're acquiring too good of talent to not be competing for that playoff spot. And so I think really anything less than nine wins and Dirk Cutter's going to be out in Tampa Bay. Well, considering what you just said, what are your expectations for the Bucks in 2018 and how many wins do you think they get? You know, it's I haven't I haven't completely sat down and, and done the wins and losses, so this is kind of subject to change. But last year we all kind of drank the Kool-Aid and we thought, man, this is gonna be the year. This is gonna be the year that the Bucks contend, that they make the playoffs. I thought that they were gonna be ten and six last year. They ended up being five and eleven. I think I think the best that they finish is gonna be nine and seven. I think the worst that they could finish is six and ten. And so I think it's gonna be somewhere in between there. And I really do think, like I kind of just said, if they don't go that nine and seven, and even if they do go nine and seven, it might be a little iffy for Dirk Cutter. But if they go eight and eight, seven and nine, uh, they're going to take a real hard look at the other potential coaching candidates that are going to be out there coming in 2019 uh, because this team has got to turn the corner fast because Jerry McCoy ain't getting any younger. And they're about to uh, they're about to have to sign Jameis Winston to a mega deal. And they want to make sure that they know what they're getting in him. And in the coach pairing that he's going to have. And so I think they will be somewhere between nine and seven and six and 10. I have no idea if that's probably good enough for the playoffs and the NFC, probably not. But um, like I said, that's subject to change, but with a tough schedule and, and a coaching staff, that's hard to trust right now. I can't see him winning more than nine games. All right, Trevor. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was short notice, by the way, folks, he was super short notice. He, he agreed to come on this morning. So we're glad to have you on um, Trevor. Well, A, we'd love to have you back on again should the Rams and, and Bucks meet again soon. We, we've had some wars over the years, so it's always good to talk some Rams and Bucks. Uh, you can follow Trevor on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey or read his work at Pewter Report. So, hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's do it again soon. A- absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Okay, so we have two things to talk about real quick here before we get into the uh, the end of the show here. Well, first, let's, let's back it up and go to the Jaguars. You kind of really outlined your thoughts during the end of the interview there. You believe they're going to the Super Bowl this year. You believe this is the year for them. I think if, if Blake Bortles can step it up a notch, he doesn't have to step it up a bunch, but if he can step it up a notch and their defense continues to play the way that it did and Fournette can stay healthy and I guess their new receivers can, can play up to their potential, yes. And I know that's saying a lot, but I don't think they have far to go in any of those areas. I really think that if anybody's going to dethrone the Patriots in the AFC, it's going to be the Jaguars. It was fun to watch them play last year. Uh, we, you know, we were fortunate enough to see them as well and see how how good they are. And I, I really think they have taken that next step. And and I and I do. I I think that if I'm going to make an early prediction, you know, it's going to be it's going to be the Jaguars in the AFC. And. I want to go with you on that one. I, I like the talent. There's one thing we didn't talk about much in the interview today, 
and that is Leonard Fournette. There was one problem they had with him last year outside of just Bortles in the passing game, and that is Fournette got hurt a lot. And when you don't have a high-level franchise quarterback leading your offense, you need that guy to dictate the running game. And without Fournette healthy all the time, I think that's a concern. Now, maybe it's just a question of a rookie year and getting used to NFL hits and some freak things happening and so on and so forth. But if anything stops them, at least next year on offense, it's Fournette. They already know what they have in Bortles. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think if Fournette can stay healthy, I think that's their biggest key. I think their defense will be fine. I think Bortles will do enough. It. I, I really, honestly, I think it all comes down to Fournette. And, you know, can he, can he be that bell cow? Can he keep running and running and running and not get so injured that he's out three, four games? Now, also, moving over to the Bucks, uh, Trevor had a lot of interesting things to say there. What's your take on where they're going and, and what they're going to be like this year? Well, <clears throat> I, I honestly think they're going the opposite direction, even though I think they improved in some areas. I, I just don't see them being the team to look out for. He's right. Their schedule's tough. And they, they play some real big teams in the beginning and throughout their entire schedule. I, I just don't think Jameis Winston's there yet. And unfortunately, I saw a lot of him too. My Ducks lost to him in the NFC on the in the NCAA championship. It's uh, I just I can't see it. I don't think Winston's matured enough. I don't think they have all the tools that they need, and I think their schedule's just a gauntlet. And I, and I don't think they finish more than maybe seven and nine or eight and eight. And uh, like he said, it's probably going to be the end of uh, the coach's careers as well. So. I just don't see them trending upwards uh, like the Jaguars. I, I, I see them actually trending downwards a little bit. The little concern I would have for Tampa Bay is not really the talent. I think he's right. I think they have a lot of talent there. I think they, if they were in a different division, we're, we're maybe having a different conversation here, but that division itself is stacked. Carolina's strong. Atlanta's strong. The Saints are strong. So now you got to move from the bottom of that heap there Against those three teams, that six games right there. And then the rest of your schedule, the Eagles, are, you know, the Bears. The Bears are much improved. I'm really high on what the Bears are doing, by the way. I am too. And so I, I just don't see the schedule working out. I agree with you there. But just the, the fact that the vision is tough. It might be the toughest in the league right now. It might be. It's arguable. And I just don't see how they can come out of that. Yeah, I don't either. I, I really... They're, they're one of those teams that I look at and you just want them to be better. I kind of, in a way, I, I didn't necessarily fall in love, but I started to really follow the Buccaneers while watching them on Hard Knocks. I think Hard Knocks is a great thing for fans to get to know the team and, and the players. And there's a part of me that wanted to see them succeed and win, but you just had this feeling in your gut that it wasn't going to happen, and it didn't. And... I don't think they've done enough to improve to to take over that division or even be a contender in that division. So, again, I, I, I just see them trending downwards. All right, folks. Well, moving from one hot place to another, moving away from Florida back home to Southern California, it is almost summertime, which means sun, hot weather, and visits to the pool. So if you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, check out our sponsors, Jayhawk Pool Plastering, and remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plaster Remodeling serves Orange County and the Southland and are run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. 
He built his business on a mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. So just head on over to jhawkpools.com, take a look at the work. You can see the quality of their finishes and the testimonies provided by the past customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. You can also email them at info at jayhawkpools.com. Sorry, .com. Folks, it's a great opportunity to support our podcast and help fellow members of the Rams family. If you live out in the area, give Jayhawk Pool Plaster a call. You'll be glad you did. Okay, so early in the podcast, we, we briefly mentioned Chuck Knox having passed. Norm, as a way just to kind of finish off today is with, because um, we are a Rams podcast. We've been doing this tour around the league, and we haven't had a whole lot of Rams stuff to really talk about. We did have something today. Chuck Knox passes. You're an older guy than me. I'm not going to poke fun at you today. It's not one of those days where we should. But you were alive and kicking and watching Rams football during that age of the 1970s when they were one of the dominant teams in the league, especially that stretch from 1973 and 1979. You remember the Chuck Knox era. What are your best memories watching the Rams play under Knox? Well, they were winning, and that was one of the neatest things, you know, Knox was the coach during the Jack Youngblood time. And, you know, everybody knows how big of a Jack Youngblood fan I am. And I got to, to really get to know him and watch him coach. Uh, he, when you have a coach that, you know, during that time, he went through a, a regular season record of 54-15-1. I mean, <laughs> if we had those kind of records now in that kind of stretch, everybody in L.A. would be going bonkers. So, obviously, winning was one of the favorite things. You know, unfortunately for him, he he had a playoff record of three and five at that time, and that really wasn't it wasn't the way that he or or any of us wanted to see it end. The, I guess the some of the interesting things I remember is all the different quarterbacks he coached during that time: John Hadle, Ron Jaworski, Pat Hayden, James Harris, and and even Joe Namath. And so we all had high hopes of, of what was going to happen. I think Pat Hayden during that time is the one I really remember the most. And, uh, you know, watching Coach Knox and, and Pat Hayden interact with each other, it was, it was an interesting time. I was, I was a big Chuck Knox fan. Uh, I think he was a great coach. He, I don't know how well he could have coached in today's NFL with his, the way he did it. He, he liked to run people over. He liked to run the ball and, and grind it. And uh, we obviously have the team that could do that now, but I just don't know that. It, in other words, his offenses weren't very splashy. Just hard-nosed, tough, run the football down your throat. And it was fun to watch as a fan during that time. And, you know, it's really sad to hear that he's passed. And, and uh, you know, my condolences go out to him and his family. Well, the thing, too, is when he took over the team in 1992, we were starting to enter that whole new passing era. The West Coast offense was evolving more into more different schemes, and we're seeing younger teams come up, the Cowboys in 1992, and so on and so forth. And what we really saw, I think, when it comes to Chuck Knox is that at that point in his career, the game kind of, it, it had passed him by. But, I want to stress this, but as a young kid, he did give me one great memory, and that was in 1992 when the Rams upset Dallas, 27-23 in Dallas. Dallas was on the way to the Super Bowl that year. And uh, he, well, not quite. If I remember correctly, 89-90 and 91-92. Was it 92? Yes. It was 92, wasn't it? 
because 91 was the Redskins, 90 was the Giants. So, yeah, 92 it was their first year going to the Super Bowl. The Rams upset them. The Rams go 6-10 and 10 that year. And they actually had some solid games overall, but it was an upset that I remember. And I just remember that he did try and instill that toughness in that team. They were young. He didn't get along with Jim Effort very well. They just had different views on offenses. There were a lot of other issues in that franchise as well. But the, the, the sad part about the end is, no, is everybody remembers what happened with Chuck Knox at the end. They do not always remember that Chuck Knox turned around not one team, not two teams, but three teams. He turned around every other team he coached, the Bills, the Seahawks, and the Rams. So yeah. it's unfortunate that he's just remembered sort of now and kind of there's a few fans will crack, younger fans will crack jokes, you know, Chuck Knox, the boring offense in 92, 93, 94. But, it, it, you know, the game passes everybody by at some point. Well, and if you think about it, in you know, when he took back over in 92, that's when Jerome Bettis, you know, came into the league. So there's your, your bell cow running back again. And I just don't think that he had the offensive mindset that it took in that era to be able to continue to be competitive. Uh, but again, watching him in his early years, which is when I remember him the most, it was it was fun to watch because it was just, you know, again, hard-nosed, run the football, ram it down your throat kind of stuff. And when you can be successful doing that, it's fun to watch. Uh, you know, now you've got, you know, the deep passes and the high-flying wide receivers and all that stuff, and that's all great and good for the game. But when you have a team that can, you know they're going to line up and run the football down your throat and you can't stop them, that's also really fun to watch. And I think that's what he brought to the Rams in the early years more than anything was just a tough, hard-nosed football team. And uh, now it's sad to hear that he passed. Well, he did get a chance, I think, to live a good life. 86 years old when he passes. Uh, I think at some point here this summer we're going to take some time to go back and look at those years just to kind of remember what he meant. Too many of the younger fans, I think, don't understand what he really accomplished as the Rams head coach and head coaches, the Seahawks even as well. So we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, folks, it is late. We hope all the moms out there had a great Mother's Day. We want to ask you, if you could please, head over to Twitter, follow us at Talk Rams, also at Facebook at Rams Talk. And that reminds me we're running a contest, a brand new contest. Whenever you share our podcast posts on Facebook, like it and share it. You're going to be entered into a contest. We're going to pick three winners. Each each winner gets a $75 gift ticket for NFLshop.com. We're really pushing buying Ram stuff. So there you go. And help us spread the word of the podcast. Also, you can find me on, on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can find Norm on Twitter at Norm Hightower. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FN, and of course, IE Beat Radio. One more thing. It's about that time of the year we're looking for writers for 2018. People who can provide good con- uh, content. I'm usually the guy who writes dormant, but we are more focused on the podcast. So we need folks who have a fresh mind for football to come on in and learn the trade. If you want to learn a bit about writing, get your foot in the door. Uh, come on out, email me at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com, and we'll talk and join the staff. We could really use some some good, fresh content. It helps us out, helps you out. And I think I've run out of steam, Norm. It's, it's late. I'm getting tired. How about you? <laughs> Yeah, well, we're obviously growing fast. Our podcast is is growing fast. And part of the problem with podcasting so much is that we can't write as much. So 
having having more writers on board would be great. Having guys or, or gals that want to podcast uh, is also great. So make sure you reach out to us if you're uh, you know if you're a Rams fan and you have some knowledge of football, please reach out to us and let us know. Oh, and one more thing I'll tell you. You mentioned gals, folks. I know there are some ladies who listen to our show. In the course of our now almost six-year history, we've never had a female staff member. Folks, not, I can not, promise you. Not by choice. Yeah, not by choice. We're not sexist. We are more than happy to have a lady come on board and give her perspective on Rams football. So don't be shy. Email us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com if you know what you're talking about. In terms of your football, I don't care what you are. I don't care if you're blue, purple, or polka dot. Come come right in and talk some football with us, okay? All right. So we're topping it off now. We're finishing uh, We're finishing the Golden Prime here. We're going to try and get this, this episode in particular out for you quickly just because of the, the passing of our Chuck Knox, our head coach, and also because of Mother's Day. So look for this quickly soon. So as soon as Norm can edit it. Hint, hint, Norm, Norm. <laughs> for Norm, this is Derek C. Apollo. Take it easy. Adios. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.